0: Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Thanks for tuning in again, friends. I was off last week, as I noted, and so I hope you took the chance to also listen to some of our other podcasts at Urban Village, if you're not doing that already, but I'm glad to be back this week and hope you're doing well in this season of Lent and as we come into the time of spring about us as well. So we are continuing our sermon series at Urban Village called Naked, where we're exploring what does it mean to be vulnerable with God, particularly as it relates to our prayer life. And so today I'm going to look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. This is Jesus speaking. Hear these words. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, If two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So I record these podcasts at my desk at home, and as I look at my desk, I have it arranged in a certain way, including over on the left side of my desk, I have a little envelope holder with various things, including a big envelope And that's where I put all of the different cards that I receive when I shop or um, frequent different businesses like uh, coffee shops and things like that. And I'm putting a picture up um, on Sunday when I preach this, and I'll put this up on the Podbean page as well. All kinds of different coffee cards are there with all little punches. As some of you know, I don't have an office per se, and so a lot of my meetings are done in coffee shops. So, of course, I go and collect the cards that you get, and whenever you buy a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and they punch that so that you can accrue awards, and then you get something, usually a free cup of coffee, at the end of it. So the picture that I'll show doesn't show also the apps I have on my phone that does roughly the same thing. So I have a Starbucks app and a Walgreens app and a Southwest Airlines app, and all of these things act in the same way, where you are accruing points to get something at the end. This, too, is not exhaustive. I have a wallet upstairs in our kitchen that has a Mariano's card that's a grocery store in the Chicago area, and a Lou Malnati's card that's our pizza place of of choice, and there are probably others that I've completely forgotten about. So we go into these establishments, and we get scanned or punched or swiped, and we accumulate points, rewards. Businesses say, thank you for shopping, and because you've been such a good consumer, you'll have a little treat for you after a while. And there's something weirdly and, frankly, scarily satisfying about accumulating these points, which I would imagine this is what businesses want, so that you feel that connection, so you'll come back and continue to purchase, so that you will accrue things at the end. And I wonder if sometimes people see church in the same way. We don't have a card or an app yet, maybe one day at Urban Village, but I wonder if people see coming to church as kind of like accruing points so that one day God will look at their apps or their punch cards and say, oh, you have accumulated this many points or this many punches. Here's your reward. Or by the same token, maybe people fear God saying, oh, I see you let your car lapse many, many, many years ago. Sorry, no reward for you. Well, for those who may have that way of thinking about God, I hate to break it to you, but this isn't what the church is like. Church, and more specifically the relationships we build with each other in church, are much deeper than that. You might even say they're familial. And that's one of the things that I thought about as I was reading through this text and in light of this sermon series I mentioned earlier called Naked, being vulnerable with God as a way to deepen our faith. Part of being naked with God also means that conceivably, should be able to be naked toward one another who also have that same desire to be naked with God. So how can we do that? How can we be naked with each other? Specifically, how can we be naked with others in this weird and wonderful, this delightful and dysfunctional entity that we call the church? At times we might think it's easier to be naked with a stranger because you'll never see them again than we would with people that we rub elbows with on Sunday mornings or in small groups or in times of service. So let's take a look at this, especially as we read about it in this text from Matthew. I think the first thing is to name that, yes, the church is more than an organization where you accrue points so that you can cash them in for a reward one day. And we see where the text is getting at at the very beginning of this passage. It starts off by saying, if another member of the church. Now some translations see this word, this word church, ecclesia, that's the Greek that this is being um, translated into. This is only the one or two times this happens in the Gospel of Matthew. And some see this translation also that you can say this as saying, if another brother or sister... So it's interesting the close connection there is between whether you use another member of the church or you use brother or sister. So here we see deep relationships, not just superficial ones. I think this gives you a sense of the connectedness that the early church thought of itself. We are connected, family even, as members of the church. Now, I know some who are unfamiliar with the church the growing numbers of people who have little experience with church or may label themselves spiritual but not religious, that might seem like a cult kind of a thing. But I think, it, to me, it means that we are developing bonds that mean that we are there for one another, like we are there for family members. And that's the difference, perhaps sometimes we'll ask, well, what's the difference between a church and, say, a nonprofit organization that does good things? And there are some similarities, but also I think in the church there is that deep familial bond. And also in the church there is grace, love, forgiveness, acceptance given even when we don't deserve it. So, on the one hand, this close connection between family and church, I hope that that can be comforting for you if you belong to a church or are part of a church community. On the other hand, when you think of a family, you may be thinking of your family. You also, at some point, must face up to the fact that there is conflict. I have yet to experience any family that doesn't have conflict, that doesn't have some semblance of dysfunction, and so if you think, well, if church is family, I don't know if I really want that in my life. People are surprised to think sometimes when churches make mistakes, or when churches sin, stray from what God desires from us, or when churches are dysfunctional, but We, like any family, have those things that happen. So what do we do? What happens when there is conflict? It makes things uncomfortable, whether you're in a family or in a church. When there's conflict, as I noted earlier, sometimes it's easier with strangers because you never have to see them again. It's the closeness when there's conflict or disagreement or hurt feelings. It's the closeness that makes things uncomfortable. You are in a space a close space with each other and that space is no fun. If you buy into the fact that a church should be more than just a meet-up group and when, not if, when conflict happens it's even more painful. I mean isn't the church supposed to be a place where brothers and sisters in Christ love each other? Yes, but we are human. And we mess up. We are prone to mess up. So when we talk about that space, that uncomfortable space, when we're in close proximity with one another, and that uncomfortable space when we are with someone, and if we want a deeper bond, and if we feel like that bond has been broken or taken advantage of, then what do we do? What do we do with that space? I want to highlight a certain space in this text today. Again, I'm still looking at verse 15. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If I were to edit this, I would put, rather than if another member of the church sins against you, I would say when another member of the church sins against you, because it will happen, and I will do it as well. But instead, I want to take a look at a comma in this verse. So again, it says, if another member of the church sins against you, comma, And then the next word is go. I want to take a look at that space in that sentence. The space between the comma after the word you and the word go. That's that uncomfortable space. If another member of the church sins against you, comma, space, then there's directive. Go and point out the fault. In that space... That's where the discomfort is between the comma and the word go. Like, what do I do? Someone in the church, in my family, has done something wrong, has made me feel awful, whether they knew it or not. And so I'm in this uncomfortable space before I can go and point it out. That is really hard. So what do we do? I was in riding the train this past week. And, as I got into the train, it was in a rush hour of sorts, so there weren't many off and I'm standing, but on this day there was one seat that was available, and I knew I was going to be riding the train for a while. so I sat down and started reading a book and I've heard others who ride the train regularly sometimes ask this questions, ask this question as you I was going north, and as the train went further north, more and more people got off the train. And so it wasn't quite as crowded. And so I, and I think others have wondered too, if I'm sitting right next to somebody, and if you've ever been on the train in Chicago, you know that those seats don't give you a whole lot of elbow room. If you're sitting next to somebody, right next to somebody, and someone moves, so then conceivably you could move over, do you move over? Or do you just sit there because you don't want the other person to feel like uh, I don't want to sit by you or I don't want to you know, be anywhere near where you are. And so I always wrestle with that. And to be honest, I always err on the side of discomfort. And as, on this particular day, I was sitting next to a woman who had on a really big coat and kind of had her elbows out a little bit. And so I was feeling a little scrunched. So then I would kind of scoot. I was still sitting in my seat, but I would scooch over a little bit. And the ridge, the small little ridge on the Uh, seat that separates the seats from one another and so not only was I feeling a little crunched but then I was sitting on this little ridge and that wasn't very comfortable either but and I could have just moved over to the other's chair but I thought no I'm gonna stay in this uncomfortable space because I don't want this woman to think that I am somehow offended by her presence and she probably could have cared less but this is a quick and perhaps amusing look inside my head but it's that kind of space that I'm talking about, that space between the comma and the word go. If someone has sinned against you in the church, you are in that uncomfortable space and I don't know what to do with it. And it doesn't feel very good. So, what do we do? Well, at first, I think our minds go to revenge, lash out. We may want to rephrase the scripture. We may want to rephrase a verse, another verse from Matthew, Matthew 7.12. You may know this verse. Matthew 7.12 says, In everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Right? Golden rule. But we may be tempted to rewrite that verse, do some editing, and instead say, In everything do others do to others before they would do something to you. For this is my law and will make me, temporarily, feel better. That's our first reaction when we are hurt or when someone sins against us. We want to lash out. Now let me also do a very quick aside here and talk about this phrase, if anyone sins against you, that we read. I know there have been numerous people in the history of the church where this verse has been abused toward them, particularly uh, in our context at Urban Village. We know of individuals, LGBTQ individuals, who have been harmed by verses like this, where a church will take this verse and say, you have sinned against us because you are gay. And essentially they ostracize or they kick them out of the church because... This uh, gay or lesbian or transgender or bisexual individual refuses to give up their identity, and so they are kicked out of the church. So people have used this verse as has any number of individuals taken verses out of context and twisted it in a way to serve their own agendas, and that's not what this verse is about. So I just want to name that for, for those who may wonder about this passage, because it can be used for harm. But instead, what does it really mean when it says, if anyone has sinned against you? Well, one commentary I read this week said that this is really any self-serving behavior that breaks the unity of the fellowship of Christ. So if you have ever been, if someone has acted in seemingly a self-serving behavior that breaks that unity, the fellowship of Christ, what do you do? Well, here in the text, we receive this kind of crazy suggestion that an individual should approach the offender. These verses are for the upholding of grace. They are not rules for the engagement of combat. And this, talk about an uncomfortable space. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So here we are called to speak the truth in love. This makes it doubly hard for individuals. If they have been harmed or hurt or sinned against, if someone has, in a self-serving way, broken the unity of the fellowship of Christ, and you feel hurt by that, then you also, in this text must speak the truth and love to them, because that individual may not realize the harm that they have done. And this takes an enormous amount of courage. What often happens is we want to avoid it, or we want to just pray that it goes away. We pray maybe that the person who has offended or sinned against us will realize what they have done, and often that doesn't happen. And so we pray for that courage to be able to approach and confront the person saying, what you have done here has harmed me. What you have done here, and I'm approaching you because you are my brother or my sister, because the church should be more than a typical nonprofit or or some other organization. We do this not to shame the other, but to build the relationship, to tell the other that you care enough about the relationship that you want it to work. And when you do this, this is really getting naked. And the text goes on to outline next steps. Again, not to shame the person, but to do all they can to build the body of Christ. If the individual who has committed this sin or has brought about this harm doesn't want to listen, then you bring two others saying, we really want to make sure this relationship stays intact. Because when an individual is seemingly acting in self-interest and not in selfless love, that can harm the body of Christ. And it can harm the individual who is engaging in this action too. A couple of years ago, I went to a funeral. A close friend of mine, his name is Bill. And as I was there, I was noticed that the pastor of the church where the funeral was located wasn't the one who was officiating the service which I thought was kind of curious. And I asked a mutual acquaintance about this, and I learned that Bill, my friend, had been upset with the pastor by a perceived lack of care given when Bill's son had been going through a time of real deep depression. In fact, he was hospitalized for it. And Bill felt like the pastor wasn't there for his family. He felt like the pastor had engaged perhaps in self-serving behavior that broke the unity of the fellowship of Christ. My hunch is the pastor probably didn't know he was doing that, but that was the perception. And Bill was hurt, deeply hurt, by the fact that the pastor did not call on them, did not reach out to them, that the pastor wasn't there for their family. And so Bill was in that uncomfortable space of feeling like I have been done harm here. I feel like this bond has been broken. And he had the chance in that space to approach the pastor and say, this is what I feel. But it was hard for him to do that. And instead, he walked away from the church. He let his own pain drive him from this community that he cared about. Meanwhile, according to supposedly the pastor was just oblivious to all this, which I find also hard to believe. But that seemingly was the case, that anger that had been building up in Bill and was doing harm to his own soul, and it drove him away from the community. I know it is so unbelievably difficult to reach out to someone who has harmed you, and in fact, this week when I was praying and thinking about it, it is I have so few times where this has happened in my own life. I have harmed people, and sometimes I just don't know it, and so they leave, and that Hurts me because I want the opportunity to apologize and to make amends. There are times when people have said to me, What you've done, and there's is I'm not sure what your action was about, but I felt like this is where you were coming from when it really wasn't. And so that also there's that initial kind of sting, but also I was grateful for the opportunity to go deeper in the relationship. Because this is what also happens sometimes, is that when you are when you have the courage to approach someone, now sometimes they may ignore you or may be in denial, and this is maybe when you bring one or two others to try to come to some sort of resolution. And so if another member of the church or if a brother or sister sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. You, comma, go. This is unbearable space, painful space, space where you are hurt, offended, and you want to either take revenge or ignore it altogether. But by speaking the truth in love, we get naked with each other because we name our vulnerability. We say that we have been hurt. We have been disappointed. We admit that we are human, that our emotional armor isn't impenetrable. It can also be the beginnings of a deeper relationship because we say to the other, you are my sister, You are my brother. I will sit next to you. I will not move one seat over. I will not avert my eyes. We will sit in the discomfort knowing the powerful words of Jesus. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. May it be so for our church and in all of the deep relationships that we have with one another in the name of Christ. Amen. Or Friends, thank you for listening and for downloading this. It always pleases me and pleasantly surprises me when individuals come up to me and say that they listen and say they appreciate the podcast, so I'm, I'm glad for that. As always, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Christian Kuhn or on email. I'm chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. I'm always happy to engage with folks in that way. Uh, I think I've mentioned before that I am in the midst of writing a book and I'm getting so close to being done. I'm supposed to have everything done by the end of March. And so I say that because I'm taking a, another Sunday off on March 20th so that I can really get things closed up, hopefully, uh, and, uh, by the end of March. So my apologies for skipping another week. Uh, I'll be back for the Easter podcast and so I look forward to you, to uh, speaking with you at that time. And again, go to our urbanvillagechurch.org webpage. We have many great preachers here at our church, and so you can download one of the other podcasts from the other sites as well. So until then, friends, have a blessed two weeks, uh, and I look forward to being with you then. May the peace of Christ be yours.